The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and John McTernan, the former Labour advisor. So we are on day three of the Labour benefits row. Isabel, where are we up to? Well, there was a shadow cabinet meeting this morning and the noise beforehand had suggested that some Labour frontbenchers were going to have a go at Keir Starmer for saying over the weekend that Labour would not scrap the two-child limit on child benefits. That didn't happen. Uh, No one spoke out against it at the Shadow Cabinet meeting, um, which was a source of discomfort to some of those who were there but also didn't speak out. Um, And a number of front benches actually spoke in support of the policy, uh, including Jonathan Ashworth, who has previously spoken against it, um, and Lisa Nandy. Um, And in terms of the feeling within the party I mean things are still I wouldn't say febrile but things are still very unsettled um there's a feeling amongst backbenchers who are very opposed to this that some of the shadow cabinet might have just been keeping quiet because there is a reshuffle looming um, and now is not the time to upset the leader um others are peeved that there's been a a real miscommunication from Keir Starmer that while he didn't go on to Laura Koonsberg's programme to give her the story of this two-child um, policy, this two-child benefit policy, um, that he didn't answer the question that she posed in the right way. So their argument is, look, things are going to be really, really difficult once Labour comes into government, um, but it would be would have been better for him to say, we are still opposed to this policy, but we might not be able to afford to scrap it to begin with, um, which just shows you what a mess the Conservatives have made of things and how difficult it's going to be. Um, and that's one of the reasons it sparked such a row, because it's actually got to the stage where it sounds as though Keir Starmer is in favour of limiting benefits, to, child benefit to just two children in each family, as opposed to him saying that the economic reality is that they can't remove that policy. Um, And perhaps with some of the polling suggesting that there is support for the cap staying in place, um, there are some around Keir Starmer who will also be aware of of that. John, do you think that Keir Starmer made a mistake in how he spoke about this on Sunday? It wasn't actually the first time he had suggested um, the cap could stay, but um, almost the dismissiveness seems to have irked not just the left of the party, but MPs across the party. Look, I suppose rule one of political communications is if you're going to go on to a show like Kunzberg, um, you should have a story. Because if you don't have a story, you become the story. Um, and I think that is what we're dealing with, what Labour is dealing with over the, over the last couple of days. The position was made clear when he, when Keir made the um, speech on social mobility. He put a context around it, and people understood then the spending constraints, the fiscal discipline, that once you open the question of welfare benefits in one area, it can run anywhere because George Osborne took £12 billion out of the welfare budget when he was Chancellor. 
and that is once you once you make concession on one area, why why not local housing allowance or the total benefits cap or uh, universal credit itself or how much you pay individual uh, single single people? So I think you can see that there was, the question was asked and then answered, and then if you're going to go onto the Laura Kunzberg show, what's your announcement? What's your announceable? Uh, and I think there wasn't really an announcement. And the Sunday morning shows have a function, and that is to amplify a story. Uh, so there has to be a story out of it. And, and, and Keir's handling of the question has become a story, even though it's not news. And I think the difficulty for the Labour Party that is highlighted is everybody understands the Tory government checked out. They're not really governing. They're managing their backbenchers. The focus for the next 18 months is going to increasingly be on what would Labour do in government? And it's here is now a victim of success. And I think that's very difficult because in one way, he's been too successful too quickly. He's now had this, he's now had nearly 18 months of poll lead, but there's yet still 18 months to go. And if the government aren't taking responsibility for all the decisions, Labour are being asked, what are you going to do? But Labour still only got 200 MPs. Labour still can't put forward anything in the Commons without it being defeated. And Labour have got 18 months in which they know the government's strategy is to, er to erode uh, uh, the Labour poll lead by basically going, I know you don't like me, Rishi Sunak, but you know me. And what about Labour? They might be a risk. And anything that in enables the Tories to hang the label of risk around the Labour Party is being avoided by Labour at the moment. So I think you can see the strategic bind that Labour are in, which means that the tactical executions need to be done in understanding that that's the context. And I think that's the problem. And Isabel, that's 18 months of Rachel Reeves needing to uh, obviously hold the line when it comes to spending. We've already seen how strong the shadow treasury is. If you look at, I suppose, some of the bids on childcare, I think um, Bridget Phillipson has not always got her way, where streeting has not always got his way. It now feels as though, uh, yes, Jonathan Ashworth out there on Newsnight and today defending it, but you, you get the sense he also has not got his way. Um, <laughs> he was moving his eyebrows in a particularly pointed way, I felt. Exactly. So, do you think um, as yeah. we get closer to the election, it's going to be harder for Rachel Reeves to keep saying no to these things? Because I suppose if we compare it to when Tony Blair and Gordon Brown got into power, they, it was a very different economic situation they inherited and they would just not have that luxury. Yeah, I mean, I think there is um, a tendency within the Labour Party, including the Labour front bench, to think that Reeves is sort of talking tough but hope that she will be more generous either with their particular pet project or once once the party wins an election whereas uh, firstly there's you know a lot of people in the party who say we, we can't say once uh, because we don't know that we're definitely going to win this election that's why we need to be fiscally disciplined um, but also that actually the reality is that if they do win the election it's only going to get more miserable and it's not going to be, um, I think I've talked about this before, sort of a no carbs before mobs kind of, you know, attitude where like they're very disciplined in their election campaign and then they go for the sort of all you can eat spending buffet as soon as they're in power. Um, <laughs> actually, it's, you know, once they've seen the books, it's only going to get more difficult and they're going to have to be even more constrained than, than they um than they're saying they're going to be at the moment. Um, but it is going to be difficult because Labour Party morale uh, will will dip whenever there are these um, announcements or acknowledgements made. And 
really there's not that many people in Labour who were in the last Labour government. And so the muscle memory of the difficulty of being in government just isn't there. Uh, you have to, you have to, you know, look quite hard for somebody who has experience of these really difficult decisions because Labour's been out of power for so long. And so they've grown very used to opposition and they've grown used to how miserable opposition is. They've forgotten actually that government can be even worse. And John, I suppose looking ahead, um, what do you think Rachel Reeves should be doing next? Um, has this been a good test in discipline for the shadow cabinet, at least, in terms of, uh, we saw a little bit with the attack ads, but learning to hold these positions, which is good stress test going into an election campaign? Look, it has been an important stress test, and it's going to be because this is the week leading up to the National Policy Forum. And we all know, everybody knows, the National Policy Forum won't write the manifesto, um, but the National Policy Forum is going to be a test of the maturity of the unions, the affiliated trade unions, and the shadow cabinet, and the National Policy Forum elected representatives from the party. How serious are Labour about winning power? Because it is that that, that length of time uh, that's between now and, uh, and when the election might fall, that Isabel talked about. It's also about, absolutely, um, I went through the loan pair and benefit cut. I was an advisor to, to, to Harriet Harman last time around. That was actually a cut only of 55 million. Um, and tax credits have been brought in. And actually, Gordon, because the expanding economy, was able to put a billion pounds extra through tax credits into the pockets uh, of uh, families uh, with kids. We're not in that situation. Uh, Paul Johnson uh, of the IFS wrote a piece uh, this week in which he was basically saying, Things are going to be incredibly difficult after the next election because, for example, the, te- the teachers pay, for the teachers pay, the nurses pay, the doctors pay. The money isn't in the budgets for that in 24-25, let alone after any election uh, next year. Um, and there's so many uh, pressures built into the budget um, that Labour, in a sense, Labour are going to need a royal commission into public spending when they get into office to look at tax and spend and to do a bit of blame making. And I think one of the issues... Uh, that you can see that, that, that I think Rachel needs to do more of and, 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 and other people in the Shadow Cabinet, maybe uh, Angela Rayner taking on a more John Prescott position. Somebody's got to be out there just going, do you know whose fault this is? It's the Tories. The Tory government announced this in 2014. In 2015, Labour were beaten in an election. In 2017, Labour were beaten in an election. In 2019, Labour were beaten in an election. There's been three elections in which the Tories have been supported by the British public to put this in. It's the Tory government. If you want anything to change, step one is getting rid of the Tory government. And everything has to be focused on, you know, in the end, politics is about storytelling. Great stories have heroes, but they also have villains. And if you don't make somebody else the villain, you'll be made the villain. And at the moment, that's the problem for Labour. Keir and Rachel are being made the villain in a story in which it's the Tories who did the benefit cut. It's the Tories who are putting kids into poverty. It's the Tories who don't care about this. Uh, And Labour can't do a thing when it's only got 200 MPs. And so the righteous anger, which the Labour Party loves, is focusing it on itself, which, again, the Labour Party loves to do. We need a bit of righteous anger focused at the real villain. So we need to start telling a story that's got a big villain in it. And we know what we do with the villain is you chase them out of town. And Isabel, we're talking, uh, I suppose, for a change today on this podcast about Labour problems, often it's Tory problems. And it comes at a time where, yes, we know Tory problems are coming and will probably dominate 
at least one, if not two, podcasts on Friday. But there has been some good news for the government in the House of Lords, where ahead of schedule, the illegal migration bill um, has passed the laws and is now on track for royal assent. Yeah, so this was uh, confirmed in the small hours uh, where finally um, the government... uh, managed to get its uh, its bill past the final stages of the House of Lords and House of Commons ping-pong. Um, Conservative peers uh, in the House of Lords uh, helped to defeat those who were continuing to hold out on certain rebel amendments. You had Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, dropping his uh, amendment on um, the government having to produce a long-term international strategy for dealing with refugees. Uh, you still had, though some rebellions in the House of Commons from Conservative MPs, sort of between five and just over a dozen on different amendments. Um, Former party leader Ian Duncan-Smith walking through the no lobbies, a a, a lot others who also rebelled against the government, William Ragg, Damien Green. Um, Theresa May didn't vote last night, so she didn't join the rebellion, Um, uh, but she also didn't didn't vote with the government. And I think even though the bill is going to obviously get royal assent, which is a huge relief to Home Secretary Suella Braverman, um, it it, it does now move on to the new row, which um, is on the implementation, not just uh, on whether the Supreme Court rules that the Rwanda deportation policy is lawful, um, but also uh, in terms of the wider strategy for dealing with asylum seekers, um, both where to house them on barges, uh, dealing with the backlog um, and so on. And the, there are lots of complaints from Conservative MPs really across the, the spectrum, whether it's Priti Patel, former Home Secretary, or Vicky Ford, who was speaking in the debate last night. Um, she was complaining about uh, the way in which uh, child asylum seekers are being housed. Um, obviously, there's been a row on that um, with Robert Jenrick ordering the painting over of Disney characters at one centre. Um, and so Conservative MPs are still very anxious about the implementation of this legislation because it promises to stop the boats and no one really has that much confidence that it will. They have more confidence in it as a symbol. One step completed, but many more to go. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening.